Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Hello, and welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. This is one of your hosts, Curtis, here. Um, For today's episode, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. We actually had a sit-down kind of roundtable conversation with some of our colleagues at Guidance Point Advisors. So in just a few minutes, um, I'm going to cut away and we're going to jump to that roundtable conversation we had. We just thought it was a great time to really look back on the the calendar year of 2022, talk about where things kind of stand in the investment markets and, and kind of what we see going forward. So hang tight and we will be right back with our colleagues. Uh, so Ben will jump in as well and our colleagues Wes and Chris. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another Guidance Point Advisors Roundtable. So I know we've done a few of these. My name is Curtis. I'm an investment consultant at Guidance Point Advisors. Uh, joining me today are a few of my colleagues. I have Ben Smith, uh, Wes Del Cole, and Chris Del Cole. So we are all uh, investment consultants here at Guidance Point Advisors. Um, and we really just wanted to get together. I know we do this periodically to just kind of talk about what we've seen in the last year, I know we're recording this in early uh, January of 2023, so I think we're going to talk a little bit about 2022 and what we saw in the markets and and just kind of some other talking points, kind of all things kind of finance, if you will. But as we kind of dive into this conversation, I know one thing we love to start every one of these off with is kind of an icebreaker question. So I'm going to ask the three of you, um, and I'll answer it at the end myself as well. So today's question, we're going to go with the most, what is the most dominant uh, sports team or individual kind of performance season um, that you all have seen in your lifetime. So it's got to be from your kind of lifetime here, okay? So I'm going to start it off with, uh, we'll go with Ben first. So Ben, what is your answer there? Um, so growing up, I was a big basketball fan. So basketball is going to have to be the one that uh, that kind of I, I answer with. The 1992 USA national team. Okay. So the dream team, right? So that was the only that was the first Olympic team that they scored more than 100 points in all games. They all they beat all eight opponents by an average of 44 points per game. So wow. they outscored them by 44 points. So and again, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Karl Malone, Patrick Ewing, right? Yeah. The the whole thing, right? And the, <laughs> even the coaches, right? Is Chuck Daly, Lenny Wilkins, Mike Krzyzewski, You know, the the coaching staff was like the dream team. So yeah, that was the one that I think everybody just kind of spurred this worldwide phenomenon about getting into basketball. And I I think some would argue that even the NBA today was is still kind of feeling the re- reverb of that. So ninety two USA national team is is my answer. All right. I love it. I love it. Chris, I'll rotate to you here. Where where are you going with the most dominant uh, kind of sports team here? I'm going to go with an individual sport. All uh, right. I'm going to say Tiger Woods dominance in the game of golf. Uh, I don't have the statistics handy to say which year he was <laughs> the most dominant, uh, but his career and there were multiple years in which he just uh, – exceeded anyone's uh, anyone's in history uh, in terms of his um, 
position at number one mm. and his winning percentage on the tournaments that he uh, entered in and even the top five finishes. He was uh, the most dominant athlete and it's been a positive influence on uh, the PGA Tour ever since. Absolutely. It is impressive. You see, I think you still see it on any golf broadcast, no matter who wins, they say something crazy, like only 46 more wins to come in second to Tiger Woods all time. So it, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a great answer there. And I like the individual twist. Uh, Wes, who are you going to go with here? You know, it's tough because I'm a big Boston sports fan. But if I really think about the most dominant team in my lifetime, it's hard not to piggyback on Ben's basketball and go with the 90s Bulls. Yeah. I mean, they had those two three-peats with the two years in the middle when Michael wasn't, you know, playing, he was playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Like they basically won, you know, six years in a row with him. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to beat that kind of dominance. So I think that's the one I got to go with. All right. I love it. You can't argue with it. And, you know, I think I'm going to chime in here and I'll say the answer. I think we all were thinking with, with Boston sports fans here in the Pats. I mean, I think if I had to pick one year, it's, uh, I know we were talking a little bit pre-show. It's kind of a weird year, I think, but I, I think if I had to pick a Pats team, I'd go 2007. And that team was just very dominant until the very end when they weren't dominant. Um, obviously going, uh, 16 and 0 in the regular season and falling to the Giants there, um, which was just terrible. But I think, you know, I think you could argue there was, there's been a couple Pats dynasties in, in my lifetime over the span of the, you got the 01 through 04 and the, a little bit in 2012, 13, and then recently the, the 14s and 16 and 18 or 19 or something like that. So there's too many. I can't keep up. Too many so to remember. We're just going with the Pats, baby. Uh, oh, that's great. So that was awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for kind of loosening the, the start of the conversation here. I, I do want to get into really the topics that we want to discuss today. And, um, I think Wes, I'm going to have you kick us off here. So if we could just start, um, just kind of go through a recap of 2022, right? Obviously it was a busy year. Um, we've all had conversations, I think offline, but I think it'd be helpful just to hear kind of what we saw and, 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 and really just give a, a, even if it's a 10,000 foot view recap of 2022. Yeah. I, I think when you think about 2022, you have to remember that the year started, you know, at the end of 2021, we had really high valuations in stocks, you know, bonds were, were valuations were high as well. But I think what we'll probably remember most about 2022 going forward was the higher inflation, yep. the, the aggressive, you know, rate movement on interest rates. Um, you know, you had China and it's zero COVID policy and the slowing growth there. And then the other big piece in, in this sort of was part of the inflationary angle was growth stocks, which had been sort of screaming higher for years. And I think people had tended maybe even to be over allocated in that area really took a hit. Um, and, and while value took a hit too, not quite as much. Mm-hmm. And so we learned in 2022, and this may play into some of the questions we're, we're going to get into later that inflation can take a toll on everything and certainly on both sides of the ledger with stocks and bonds. But I, I think, I mean, the other piece that I haven't mentioned is the war in Ukraine. Um, I think that was a huge piece of, of 2022 that you can't not include in any type of recap of the year. So you put all those things together with, uh, you know, skyrocketing inflation and aggressive t- Fed tightening policy, war in Ukraine, China slowing down. 
Um, and you know, it was a, it was a horrible year. It was a year. I think we'd all from an investment perspective yeah. like to forget and move forward, but that's sort of when I think of a recap of 2022, those are the things I think that will, uh, primarily be remembered. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you hit kind of everything major there, Ben or Chris, anything you want to add there? Any comments, reactions, anything like that? Yeah, I'll just kind of piggyback. I think even just kind of going to a micro level of some of the conversations we were having with our clients, right, is, you know, just the the experience they had with their investments. And there's enough people that maybe they're nearing retirement, or they just retired. Mm-hmm. And and kind of thinking about, you know, everything, which I think when we do our financial planning, I know we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. But to say, hey, well, here's where we were. And here's, we're kind of counting on certain asset levels. And if I was really conservative, I lost double digit uh, returns typically. If I was really aggressive and I was down as well. So it didn't really matter the risk spectrum. Uh, and I think the, the emotionally, I think the clients that got hurt the worst were the ones that were saying, Hey, I'm a conservative investor. I'm in something like bonds because I don't want to have that risk of stocks and that drop there. And then that uh, bonds had a, had a pretty extreme drop. So I think that was. For us, from a coaching perspective, perspective of walking people through uh, where we are, what we're doing about it, how we're repositioning portfolios to take advantage of further uh, kind of future gains, but also protecting. I think that was a lot of the kind of the um, our experience with our clients and having those conversations in 22. Yeah, absolutely. Anything, Chris, there that, that Wes, or, Wes or Ben didn't bring up that you want to add there? Yeah, I would uh, just chime in that, um, you know, what we saw in 2022, the impact of interest rates on the valuation of the equity market mm-hmm. and the valuation of assets across the globe, and then the impact of those level of rates by virtue of what the inflation rate is. So um, I remember starting out uh, at the beginning of 2022 and saying how much the equity market had morphed into a real growth-weighted uh, market. Yeah. And it means, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about uh, growth stocks, they're uh, talking about earnings down the road, well off in the distance. And um, the impact of movement and interest rates on earnings down the road means that those growth stocks are going to um, get deeply discounted in terms of the value. Um, and that change played out all throughout 2022. And it was something new that the equity market hadn't really focused on the bond market as much in years past. Um, and I think 2022 brought it to light. So oh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Kind of the, I think a good continuation of this kind of recap of 22 naturally is kind of going forward and where we're going. One thing I think that uh, almost anyone I think can see in the news lately, I know Ben, you and I talked about this the other day, kind of this headline of the the 60-40 portfolio, right? And is it dead? Is it time to move on from that? And Ben, I'll, I'll kind of start with you, I think here. I guess that's the, the short phrase question. Is the 60-40 portfolio dead? Yeah. So I guess what I, I would kind of point out is just just what, again, what is 60-40, right? So 60% stocks, 40% bonds is what we're kind of pointing out when we kind of talk about these these ratios. But again, uh, kind of leapfrogging on what uh, Wes was describing from the, and Chris as well, the the kind of the, the movement in stocks and bonds last year is, you know, 60-40 portfolio. I'm, I'm looking at JP Morgan has a 60-40 annual return chart that was done 16%-ish uh, last year. 
And you, if you look at um, how that happened, right, both stocks and bonds are down, right? So diversification is, I think, the point we're trying to make here is, hey, when stocks are down, bonds maybe are saving the day or bonds are down and stocks are doing better. So they're they're kind of offsetting each other most times. And that obviously didn't happen here in, in 2022. Yeah. If you go back to how bad of a 60-40 portfolio performance that was, you know, you go back to uh, 2009, where that portfolio is around 20% down. Again, that was all equities being down. And bonds actually had offset a lot of the losses in, in equities. So, which is why we were uh, that 60-40 actually, um, actually did, performed pretty well relative to the loss in stocks. You have to go all the way back to get the, a similar magnitude of losses to about 1975, when the 60-40 portfolio is down about 17%. Mm. So this is a very abnormal case where you've seen a 60-40 portfolio really not uh, not kind of mitigate some of the risk that we see out there in the investment world. So from the whole 60-40, is it dead? I think we all try to overreact, right? As we all see uh, something didn't work and it's terrible and diversifications, now everything's correlated now and it's all going to work the same way. Yeah, I, I would say, look, there's there's abnormalities that happen, but there is a reversion to the mean, I think is a rule that we all kind of subscribe to is that things kind of come back. And I I, I know we'll talk about bonds, but I, I think that's where bonds maybe show up to the party here going forward. And um, and I know Chris will talk about that a little bit, but from a 60-40 perspective, yeah. we've had a reset in valuations We've from stocks and bonds. I think that's going to help 60-40, I think I think all those portfolios are going to be much better off in the future. Yeah, that's great. And and those are some really helpful kind of data points you pointed out there, Ben. And I'll just turn uh, to to you guys, Wes and Chris. Anything you want to add there in the 60-40 world? Are we are we still big believers in the 60-40 uh, on, on you guys' work? Yeah. I mean, when I think of, the, you know, the articles that I see about, you know, is the 60-40 portfolio dead? I think what they're asking, and Ben just described this, is, is the efficacy – of fixed income or bonds as a source of, you know, meaningful diversification, mm -hmm. is that no longer the case? And I would say absolutely the 60-40 can still work very well, especially because as Ben just described, bonds now are providing real yield. I mean, just to add a stat, Ben, to what you were saying earlier, I think since 1980, so it's like 42 years the 60-40 portfolio has provided positive returns and don't quote me exactly, but I think it's like 35 of those years. Mm -hmm. So it's done pretty well most of the time. What we learned as we were talking about in 2022 is that when you have a situation where there's very high inflation, it's going to adversely affect stocks and bonds. Sure. And that's what we saw in 2022, which makes it feel like, oof, this didn't work because the ballast, the bonds in my portfolio that I always thought were going to sort of balance out, they didn't really help me here. So perhaps in times of extreme inflation, yes, there are very few safe havens. But in general markets or in, in a market now where we're saying where the bond market is sort of recovered and yields have come up a little bit, um, I think very much so the 60-40 can be meaningful going forward. 
Oh, that's great. And Chris, I know we've, uh, we've teed up the word bonds a couple of times here now for you. So I want to ask, it's kind of, I'll give you kind of a two parter here because our next segment uh, of our conversation is going to be bond focused. So first I'll say anything you, if you just, uh, want to add to that 60 40 conversation, please feel free. Um, the kind of next point here, sticking with these, the headlines we may see in articles, right? It's, Bonds are terrible, right? Everyone's saying, look, you guys all just talked about it last year. Bonds were down with equities. So everyone's, I don't know if it's a reaction, an overreaction right now. So Chris, could you just kind of dive into the bond world for to, for us? And, and, you know, are bonds in fact terrible right now? Yeah. No, uh, never had a uh, investment call talking about uh, stocks and bonds where bonds have been uh, so much of the focus. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, uh, very apt to talk about, you know, last year. Year, we, we had uh, a rising interest rate environment. And most importantly, we had a rising interest rate environment, which you've had in the past, but a rising interest rate environment from historical lows, when I don't know what the absolute low was on the 10-year, but uh, almost uh, 140 or maybe 130 10-year, I'd have to look up, mm-hmm. um, up to now where it's at around a 3.5%. A 200 basis point move on a 10-year duration fixed income instrument is going to result in a negative return, total return. And it's going to have the impact, as I said, on valuations and so forth. Uh, so it, 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 the most important thing I'd like to say is that we came from the, the bond market had very long duration by virtue of the fact that it was close to zero interest rates for last year and the years prior. Uh, we've never had that in the past. And so any rise in interest rates was going to be exaggerated compared to what we've had in the past. If we went from 7% up to 8%, it would not have the same impact of going from 1% tenure to 2% tenure. So it was a dramatic change to interest rates that we had never seen before. Uh, I would say on the 60-40 portfolio, one thing to like highlight, you know, of that 40% in allocated to bonds, it's important of where on the uh, where in the bond market you should position yourself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to reduce your exposure to that change in interest rates. Um, I always like to remind people that the Federal Reserve only controls the front end of the yield curve. It is the overnight rate, the overnight borrowing rate. The rest of the yield curve um, is determined by market participants, where they think inflation is going to be, where they think GDP is going to be over the next one year, two years, three years, all the way out. Um, so it's important to think about positioning and you can reduce your exposure to interest rates moves up and down if you stay short in the bond market. Um, so composition of 40% in allocation of bonds, definitely they're not dead. You know, it's important to just be cognizant of what your exposure is sure. within the, uh, the bond market. And, uh, I would say that the other thing uh, to think about uh, when it comes to the, the bond market is there's the treasury market. There's also credit risk within the bond market if you um, expose yourself to corporate bonds or municipal bonds and uh, um, also mortgage-backed bonds. There, there are other instruments within the fixed income space that can provide some incremental yield even above treasuries. But the bond market is definitely not dead. And going to Wes's point, we're at an interest rate environment now where they are an attractive element to a, a portfolio for sure. Mm, I love that. Anything, Ben, you want to add something there? Or? 
Yeah, I, I guess what I just add to, and I, I think, Chris, I think you made a really important point is, you know, I, I think the 2022 is really around um, really duration and how long we were, right? And how obviously interest rate increases were were hurting people the longer they had their bonds mature. So it was really around kind of duration and interest rate risk in 2022. I think some of the concern here now in 2023, right, if we do go into recession, now credit risk becomes more of that conversation, right? Is Because if you do have a company that is more exposed to certain elements of the economy, and there's a recession, and that causes uh, maybe a problem with their with their creditworthiness. That's a little bit of the concern there. So maybe where if interest rates stabilize, which I, I think you know what we're seeing right is the Fed is maybe closer towards the end of the rate raising um, uh, cycle than they are at the beginning. So if that's the case, then maybe we have a little more stabilization in the yield curve. But uh, but again, having some um, some mindfulness about what risk you're taking, as you're saying, whether it be high yield is uh, obviously would be even more impacted uh, if there's more uh, maybe bankruptcy risk or credit uh, risk there. So things of that nature are something we just kind of keep an eye on for our clients here. I think looking into 23, just kind of forecasting. But I think you made a really uh, great point, Chris, about the now impact of 1% increases in yield, uh, the yield curve is going to impact these bonds differently than they did last year, right? Because of now you have a reset of coupons and interest rate, which now are offsetting um, a lot of uh, maybe that yield curve increase because we're getting pay- much more interest payments than we we ever have in the last maybe five or 10 years. So that's that's kind of, um, I think, the, the interesting part here going into 23. Mm. And just one more point I would add, Curtis, yeah. that relates maybe specifically to our clients. And as we're talking about bonds, and even very short term, and there's been a couple of articles in various newspapers, even in the last couple of days about this, is I would urge clients, investors out there to check their money market accounts at banks yep. and see what interest those banks are providing you. Because uh, I know Fidelity right now, I don't know, the money market's somewhere around 3.75 or something percent. Like You should be generating even some yield, certainly above 3%. For your cash. And that was not the case. You know, it hasn't been, it feels like for over a decade, maybe since prior to the 2008 financial crisis. So I would just urge people to take a look and make sure that they're squeezing as much out of their cash as they can, because there are opportunities there now that were not there a year ago. That's a great point, Wes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I think it's important. I mean, obviously, the bonds are, we just talked about the role that they're playing, but even just short, like you said, short term cash. I think that's a really great point. My next question, I really want to ask all three of you individually here. Um, Wes, I will start with you here. It's kind of a financial planning question. So obviously, we just had a great recap of 2022, kind of where we're at with, I know it was 60-40 kind of specifically, but Chris just gave us great insight into the bond market right now. So now I just want to kind of put it all together and and where we sit today, right? So what can investors do when their financial plan is off track? And I guess specifically with a market drop like we saw in 2022. Sure. So, so yeah, you come out of 2022 and you know, you weren't expecting necessarily you're close to retirement. Uh, and now all of a sudden you've got 15% less in your accounts than you had. Hopefully, if we're being good advisors, we have projected that those types of things can and will happen. That's right. Right. It's not just a straight line up. So 
thankfully, at least in a lot of the client conversations I've had, we've kind of built in that there could be some negative, you know, years in the markets. And so those are, those are going to happen, but let's just assume you're still not comfortable. I think the thing I would tell people to do is to prioritize what they can control. Yeah. Right. There are only so many variables that you can control. So you need to focus on the things that you have control over, which can be your savings. Right. How much are you saving if you're still working? You know, how much of that are you bringing home and you're spending the spending side, the expense side of the equation? That's right. So those are two things you have great control over. I, me- I remember years ago, JP Morgan had a nice chart that would say like things you have total control over. Then there are things you have sort of partial control over, uh, like your health. And we know as people get, move into retirement, healthcare costs can be really expensive. The more you can focus on yourself and your health can be a big piece of that. Your employment, if you're still uh, engaged in work, even if it's part-time, uh, can really be helpful. Things like the markets, you don't really have much control over. You can focus on your asset allocation, right, which is kind of that 60-40 discussion we were having. Also, your asset location. So am I being tax efficient with where I have things in my portfolios? Those are all things that you have control over that can help you get back on track. Worrying about what the market's going to do tomorrow or what it did yesterday, it's never proven to be helpful. So I think it's the, the biggest thing if you're off track is to prioritize and focus on the things you can control. I love that. Chris, I, I'll, I'll kind of turn to you and ask you the same question in the conversations that, you know, you may be having with clients right now. And, and again, what can clients or just investors that may or may not be clients, what can they do here? Right. We're off track at this point after 2022. What are, what are those conversations look like? I think the way, uh, Wes, uh, summarized it is, uh, so important. It's what you can control and not control. Um, and the discussions I've had with, uh, accounts after a year, um, like 2022, is getting them to really understand uh, volatility. Volatility is going to exist in a portfolio. And like Wes said, it, um, you know, there, people want it to be a straight line, but it's not going to be a straight line. And if they've just experienced volatility on the negative side uh, on the market, the natural tendency is maybe wanting to dial down that um, risk. Um, and yet that will they will then be giving up on the upside of the market as well. And if you have the right model in place in terms of what your risk tolerance is, you have to believe in it and there are going to be down years and there are going to be commensurate up years and the net net of it should be growth in the um, overall portfolio. And I think that's a, it's a difficult conversation to have with sure. people, but you have to get them to understand that volatility does exist and you uh, choose a certain risk tolerance that is going to exhibit a certain volatility and you go within those uh, parameters. All you can do is control your side of the equation, and that is the savings and expense side of things. And volatility also can be your friend, like Wes brought up, for those taxable accounts. Um, uh, you know, tax loss harvesting is a great strategy to maintain the risk in a, a slightly different exposure, but capture that um, you know tax loss at the time and uh, ride the uh, ride the upside um, uh, to to push off uh, any capital gains down the road. So those are the things I would highlight in terms of, uh, you know, going through a, a time like uh, 2022. That's awesome. I, I really appreciate that. And Ben, I'll, I'll turn to you here too uh, with the same question. Again, we're off track after 2022. What are you, what are you telling people or how are you kind of counseling people of what they can do here? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I think Chris, you, you started going to go into almost the, the lemons and lemonade, right? Obviously we were handed some lemons, you know, tax, uh, tax loss harvesting and, and brokerage accounts is a really big deal also in uh, qualified accounts. So what about um, maybe is this a time to do a Roth conversion, right? Is there, can we buy, you know, equity, can we convert equities that are maybe down 20 or 30%? convert them uh, over to a Roth and let them recover um, on an after-tax basis and not pay big uh, kind of taxes on the rebound. So when we take it out as income. So I think that's that's another kind of thing that we've been working on and advising of how, obviously we don't get the investment return we wanted, but can we create tax return? Can we keep, create the tax alpha, I guess is the, mm-hmm. is the terminology you, we heard a lot in 2022, creating extra sources of, of income or return by being smarter with taxes. Uh, I, I think the, the other part is, you know, for the retirees, the people that were going into retirement and I obviously losing money doesn't feel great, but however many portfolios, kind of thinking back to if I was retiring three years ago, I had to be having maybe a lot of enough equities in my portfolio to really gather enough return here going forward into retirement, right? Is if I was looking at my bonds and they're only yielding one, one and a half percent, well, geez, if inflation's two and a half percent, that that bond part part of the portfolio is really just a ballast against equities and not really providing enough income to keep up with inflation, which is one of the the main purposes of a fixed income. So now you've fl- flash forward going forward, geez, with a reset of interest rates and you have four or five percent yields in in fixed income. And you know, we were looking at capital market assumptions the other day. Vanguard published theirs in December. Equities of six to seven and a half percent going forward and bonds at five to six percent going forward for the next 10 years. If you go to uh, Vanguard's capital market assumptions in Google, you can see those numbers that they came up. And I think one of the one of the things is I think there's a fallacy right now. People, as you said, about cash being smart with cash. Mm-hmm. That you can get four percent in cash, but if you look at cash at four and maybe bonds that might give you five and stocks give you six, there's a lot of meshing right there of everything seems to be pretty equal ac- across the risk spectrum. Sure. The point of diversification is we don't know when those returns are going to happen, right? We don't know does fixed income show up to the party first and then stocks and then cash having all those baskets be working for us because it is tempting right now to go, hey, I can go all the cash and be at 3.8% to that fidelity government money market we talked about. But, you know, we just, we have had a rally here in January of 23 where stocks have rallied 5% in the first three weeks of the market uh, of, the, right. of the new year. So I think those are things that we're kind of counseling on right now. And again, from getting back on track is letting these letting these pieces of our portfolio work, right? Is mm. we, need, we need to practice patience and it is tough, tough, tough to do when we see losses in our portfolio. But patience is a, is a really important thing because time is on our side. Yeah, no, I like that. All, I thank you, all three of you, for those uh, those answers. I think you all made some very great points, and and I know we all kind of talk offline about these things as well. But I'm glad we're doing it in this format. We have kind of one last, at least uh, last on our agenda. It may not be the end of the conversation, but it's our last agenda item here to talk about. Kind of a general, uh, again, kind of zooming out a little bit and just kind of a general uh, question of the economy, I guess. Um, and Wes, I'm going to go to you here or start with you here. Um, 
obviously we talked about 2022 inflation and I, I know you brought it up Wes in your your recap of 2022 pretty early on um should we still be concerned about inflation at this point what are the conversations you're having around inflation and are clients asking you that question sure i think absolutely we should still be concerned with inflation at this point in fact i think it's probably the biggest theme entering 2023, Mm -hmm. along with the interest rates and what the Fed is doing to try to fight that inflation, right? So Mm -hmm. all of these things get connected uh, in a way that influence portfolios, they influence the bond market like we were discussing. And yes, we have been seeing inflation declining, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And so, you know, I'm really watching closely and I think this will probably take place in the first half of 2023. Does the Fed's tightening cycle, raising interest rates level off, you know, maybe even after the, the next two hikes? Um, and at that point, do we see inflation continuing to come down mm-hmm. where they're confident enough that they can either flat or, or do we go fall into a recession? And actually the Fed then needs to maybe Bring rates back down mm-hmm. like that could happen later. So inflation, I think, is a big piece of that, along with unemployment and everything else that's that's bundled in there. But yeah. no, I don't think just because we've seen inflation tick down since November, uh, can we say job finished? Right. We're, we're just not there yet. And I think it'll continue to be probably the biggest theme through the first half of 2023. Absolutely. Um, Chris, I'll turn to you or kind of, uh, you know, around your conversations with clients and what you're seeing out there in inflation. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be an echo of, of some of what Wes said, because I think all, all four of us would agree inflation still here and it's here to stay for a little bit, at least in terms of our mindset. But I'll, I'll kind of turn that question to you, Chris. Yeah, I think it's uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve has such an interesting dynamic to deal with in this time period relative to previous time periods where they've had to fight inflation. And it seems like a long time that uh, a long time ago when they've had to actually fight inflation. But you're coming out of COVID, you've got the supplies, uh, supply chain issues in labor and uh, delivery of, of goods. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got X amount of demand. So they're trying to tamp down demand. And that will result in an unemployment rate going up. But unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be pretty sticky at three and a half percent. And uh, will higher rates actually bring out? We see some headline numbers of uh, the tech community laying off people. And that is what pretty much the Federal Reserve wants. But is it going to get deeper in and, um, and, and tamp down the demand side of the supply demand dynamic that causes inflation. It's a, it's a tough call. I think that it's going to be around longer. There, there, uh, and, and I think what Ben said about patience. Yeah. We're, we're talking about a $26 trillion, uh, GDP economy, which happens to have a $32 trillion, uh, deficit or debt, um, uh, that has to be serviced. And, and so it takes time to tamp down that economy. Um, and, and, and that's what's needed by the Fed. Net, net of it all, I think that inflation is, core inflation is coming down. It's just taking a little bit longer um, than people expect because we're going through this reigniting of the economy and a slightly altered economy with the changes of COVID that uh, we've never seen before. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ben, I'll, I'll turn to you here and we can, you can kind of give your, your our final thoughts maybe on inflation and, and where you stand in, in your concern with it. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think Wes and Chris, you both covered kind of the, the, the Fed positioning on inflation and where it is. And so I, again, I agree that it's going to take a while for all this to kind of sort out and to figure out. And I think one of the things that we've been saying from an actionable side of, Hey, if you're listening to this right now, what can I do to kind of um, maybe insulate some of um, some of my money against inflation Again, equities and fixed income, that investable portfolio that, we work on with you, obviously that's, that's been pre-fighting inflation leading up, right? That's why we do invest as, as we are to kind of have all of our kind of liquid assets kind of keep up. And then when inflation pops up all at once, we've already kind of pre-bought some inflation protection there. But from a, from a cash perspective, uh, one thing we've been asking a lot of our clients to just investigate a little bit more seriously is directly through the treasury, you can, uh, you can uh, buy series I savings bonds. Almost think about, you know, the series, the series E savings bonds or those other savings bonds that we, we purchased when we were kids and they were paper and, you know, they hand them down and they're 30 years and all that is that there is actually one that uh, is tied to inflation that resets every six months. Mm-hmm. So right now the, the series I savings bond again, directly through the treasury. Um, and you can do up to, I believe, $10,000 into that per person per year. Uh, that's paying 6.89%, right? And that's tied to CPI. Mm-hmm. So if, if inflation is sticky, well, you could be using some of these bonds to then kind of keep your personal assets, t- um, kind of keep to keep up with inflation. If obviously inflation goes to zero, that's not a great place to be because it doesn't have a coupon to it. Sure. But that's something where, you know, I, I think if there's folks that say, look, I don't need this cash in the near term, again, it has to be in there for a year or so. That's something to consider, right? Is uh, so go, if you can look that up at treasurydirect.gov, you can check that out, the Series I savings bond. That might be something to consider just as a companion for your cash and management yeah. on how do I kind of keep some of my savings kind of tied uh, to inflation so it insulates a little bit against that for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for bringing that up. I want to thank the three of you, uh, Wes, Chris, Ben, for kind of having this conversation today. I think it was a really productive one. I want to thank our all of our clients, um, anyone who may be listening or watching this that maybe isn't a client. I hope you, you kind of got some value from it as well. To all our clients, again, thank you. Thanks for sticking with us. So again, patience is the is the key word, I think, of this conversation. And, and we certainly look forward to all our conversations in the future with all of you and specifically here in the near term in 2023. But thank you again to the three of you for contributing today. Again, I think it was a great conversation and look forward to the next time we all catch up. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting through and uh, listening to that Guidance Point Advisors Roundtable we just had. Hopefully, you thought it was a productive conversation. I know we did on our side. Thought we talked about some really great things, and it was great to reconnect with Wes and Chris and, and really get their insight as well with what the the conversations they're having are sounding like. So, Thanks again for, I know this episode was a little different, um, but we thought it was a great, great time to have the conversation and wanted to share it with our listeners over here at uh, the Retirement Success in Maine podcast as well. So like most of our shows, we are going to have a little blog page for this episode as well. So 
on there. You'll be able to find links to the video for the show. Um, we'll have links to kind of get in touch with us, uh, our contact info, and uh, probably have a transcript up there as well from the conversation. So if you like to take in the content by reading it, you'll be more than able to do that as well. Um, so the, the website for all of that is going to be blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 79. So this is episode 79 of our show. Again, we can't thank you guys enough for tuning in, not only to today's show, but all of our episodes. Uh, it's, it's crazy. We're approaching 80. Um, we've got some exciting shows coming up for you all. As always, appreciate the listenership and, and look forward to all our future conversations. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.